Welcome to another week of the From the Booth podcast. My name is Cody Clark. Evan Eichen is, of course, alongside me this week. Evan, another jam-packed episode coming up. How are you, my friend? Today is a today is a good day. We had a we had a good Sunday of football. Uh, a not so good Monday. I, I guess it's a good Monday if you're if you're a Chicago Bears fan. And we are coming up on the quarter point of the NFL season already. Yeah, it's 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 exciting stuff, and we're going to start right there in the NFL. We're going to dive right in. Uh, we had a host of, of quarterback matchups where we got to see a lot of the young quarterbacks this week uh, in action, sometimes against each other with a couple of different matchups. You talked about Sunday. Let's, let's start Sunday night. Uh, you had Jared Goff defeating Baker Mayfield 20-13. to This was a very defensive game. Jared Goff was... Uh, 24 for 38. He had 269 yards, couple touchdowns. He threw a couple of picks. Uh, Baker was kind of pedestrian as well. 18 for 36, 195 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Evan, I think both of those guys left a little bit to be desired on Sunday night, but they were also going against each other's respective very, very solid defenses. Yeah, yes, they were. Uh, Jared Goff did throw two interceptions. Mayfield threw one. Uh, Todd Gurley only had 43 yards on 14 carries. But the real matchup was the coaching matchup between uh, Sean McVay and Freddie Kitchens. And Sean McVay ran circles around Freddie. Like if it was a coaching matchup, it made the Rams look like they won like 55 to nothing. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, and we've seen that a couple of different times now in terms of especially from a play-calling perspective. I think Freddie Kitchens has had time this year where he has struggled just a bit. This is this has been a problem if you look at we'll, – we'll take a look at both of these offenses. The problem for the Cleveland Browns, they have a great running back in Nick Chubb, and he had a, a nice game against the Rams, had nearly 100 yards and a touchdown. But the problem with the Cleveland Browns is the offensive line, and there were – tons of times during that game against the Rams where Baker had very little to no time to make a decision because by the time he hit the back of his drop back and was going through his reads there would be somebody bearing down on him and he would have to roll out or try to make a play with his feet so I think the the Rams game plan for from Wade Phillips for Baker Mayfield in the Cleveland offense was a really really solid game plan and disguising coverages, using different fronts against Baker Mayfield. And as much as we've seen Mayfield have success early in his NFL career, I think you're seeing a little bit of a sophomore slump here for Baker in terms of trying to figure out what defenses are doing against him and his def- and, and his offensive weapons. Especially uh, against a veteran L.A. Rams defense, they've got guys like Aaron Donald's a veteran. Clay Matthews had two sacks. Yeah, that's right. Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews is with the Rams, in case you forgot. Eric Weddle's there now. Akeem Tlaib is still there. This is a very smart veteran defense that knows when Baker Mayfield roll, rolls, he's going to roll to his right. And when he rolls to his right, so they overloaded the right side. And you saw that on the last uh, interse- on the interception that he threw in the end zone, is that he knew that they were going to roll right, so they overloaded the right side. And he threw the ball into a pretty congested area, and uh, the Rams came away with it to put the game away. This Cleveland offense, you know, we knew there were, it was going to take a little bit of time 
to try and figure things out. They've got a ton of weapons. Nick Chubb in the backfield uh, as a as a runner and as a pass catcher. Then you have Odell Beckham. You have Jarvis Landry. I think Jarvis Landry needs to touch the ball a few more times. I, I'm sh- I do not envy Freddie Kitchens in trying to spread the ball around to some of the weapons, uh, particularly making sure that Odell Beckham Jr. gets the attention that he wants. But Jarvis Landry is a guy that, especially that we saw in that game, I think averaged over 20 yards a catch. This is a guy that is just as athletic and can make just as big a plays as Odell Beckham Jr. And you have both of those guys in this offensive set. Evan, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like they've got to try and find a few more different ways to get Landry the ball in space because defenses are going are, are already paying a ton of attention to Odell Beckham Jr. There's room to work for Jarvis Landry, and, and I think he needs to, to get a few more of those opportunities that we really haven't seen him consistently get here early in the season. You know, on paper, it's like, oh, they've got Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. They're going to get all the balls, but it hasn't really worked out that way. They've got some other receivers like Ratley had three catches, Demetrius Harris had a touchdown, Ricky Seals Jones, the tight end. I mean, if you want to use if you want to use uh Jarvis Lady more effectively, maybe they could do what the Rams did. You saw what they did, like they would run jet sweeps with Robert Woods. Robert Woods was actually the second leading rusher for the LA Rams last night. So maybe maybe getting him involved on some jet sweeps, maybe some uh, maybe some wide receiver passes, you know, something to just sort of get him back into the flow of the offense or something. Yeah, no, I totally agree there. And Freddie Kitchens in his post-game press conference, you know, if you want to blame somebody, blame me. He's trying to, you know, divert some of that from his players, which is what a, what a head coach should do. Uh, the fourth and nine draw play. Uh, I think had a lot of people scratching their head. But on the Rams side, Jared Goff, you know, it's been kind of a struggle for Jared Goff to start the season so far. Now, the Rams are out to an undefeated start. And, you know, Jared Goff just got that big contract. He's the quarterback of the Rams. But over the first three weeks of this season, it's been a little bit of, it's it's been a little bit rocky for Jared Goff. You've seen defenses do a lot of what the Patriots did where you have six-man fronts against Goff. You saw a lot of that in the Super Bowl with New England. Uh, Todd Gurley has been, you know, has been his former self. It seems like they're they're load-managing Todd Gurley, so that is something that is definitely playing into this. But we're seeing kind of up and down from Jared Goff. He just got a $25 million signing bonus, Evan. Where do you stand on how Goff has looked this year? I mean, he's looked fine. His team's 3-0. and I think that if we were expecting uh, Jared Goff to be sort of like Patrick Mahomes light, I don't know why people would think that. Goff is, he, he's looked hes looked the way that he should look. His team is 3-0. and They're in a good position to win the NFC West they've got a they've got the 49ers breathing down their necks but so far this season he's had four touchdowns three interceptions he's completing 63% of his passes which is right in line for what he is with his career last year he he completed 65% the year before that he completed 62 he's sort of right in line to where he should be right now 
yeah, Goff's a guy that, you know, I think there's a lot of of expectations on him from the fact that people, you know, I heard like, you know, Tom Brady type comparisons in terms of arm and athleticism in the pocket when he was coming out. I thought he would be primed and ready for a bigger game against the Browns because the Browns were missing uh, a bunch of different starters on the back end of the defense. I think uh, Christian Kirksey, who's their best linebacker, missed the game as well. So I was expecting a few bigger things from Goff, but Cleveland's defense still very solid. Uh, had great chemistry with Cooper Cup. Uh, that's going to continue. And when you have a defense like the Rams have, you don't have to go out there and light it up every week. And so that's what you've got with Jared Goff. But a good win for the Rams, 20-13 to over the Cleveland Browns. That was a, a very interesting duel between a couple of young quarterbacks. Another one, Evan, was the primetime game in terms of quarterback matchup, and that was early in the day on Sunday. That was Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes got the better of Lamar, 33-28. to This was a wild game because Kansas City had a 23 to nothing second quarter. Baltimore had a 15-3 fourth quarter. This was kind of just a game of spurts, wasn't it, Evan? It was. I think that the comparison that uh, they made is that it's kind of like basketball. There's just going to be these spurts and teams are going to go on these runs. And then at the end, it's going to come down to the last couple of minutes. I remember I heard somebody saying that Patrick Mahomes had sort of like a ho-hum game. And it's like, he had 375 yards and three touchdowns. Like that's what you're calling a <laughs> ho-hum Patrick Mahomes day. Do you know how many quarterbacks would, do you know how many quarterbacks would give everything to have that stat line? I mean, the one th I was bummed at the beginning when I found out that we weren't going to get Nance and Romo at that game, but the the announce team did a good job. But how about Lamar Jackson holding his own against Kansas City, uh, thirty-three to twenty-eight? Especially when Lamar Jackson, I mean, yeah, he didn't throw a touchdown pass. He was uh, twenty-four. He was twenty-two of forty-three for two hundred sixty-seven yards, but he looked he looked solid. He had, he had a rushing touchdown. The Ravens looked like they belonged in a game against Kansas City. Yeah, Baltimore did what Baltimore does. They played they played they played good defense. They had uh 200 rushing yards as a team. Mark Ingram had 100 uh more than 100 and three touchdowns. They had the ball for 32 minutes of the game. That is the Baltimore Ravens script that they're going to use. Lamar Jackson looked pretty good. It was a little shaky. He missed a few throws, had a couple of overthrows that really could have opened up the game, had, I think, an early shot to Marquise Brown uh, a couple of different times um, before the Ravens got down uh, big early on. But Baltimore is 2-1. and one. Uh, This is a respectable loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. You would have liked to have seen a little bit better completion percentage, I think, against the Kansas City uh, against that Kansas City defense, who we all know is, I think, a little bit improved from last year, but definitely still not an elite defensive unit. But Lamar Jackson has looked good, and this is, I think, this is exactly the kind of stuff you're going to see from Lamar Jackson. Somewhere in between today, and or, or excuse me, on Sunday, his performance, and somewhere in between absolutely obliterating the Miami Dolphins is right in that, right in that wheelhouse. But you're seeing an improved passer in Lamar Jackson, you're seeing an offense that continues to cater to him, and they've really done a nice job of adding pieces around him, 
particularly at the running back spot. Evan, I think Mark Ingram's addition is one of the best uh, or, or proving to be one of the best that any team had in the offseason. And they also got Earl Thomas on the on the defense. So they've got two smart veteran guys to sort of buoy uh, both sides when you've got Mark Ingram, who a lot of people forget he was a Heisman Trophy winner. He's stuck around in the league for a while, but they've got a good mix of running backs. It's not just Mark Ingram. They've got Gus Edwards. They've got Justice Hill, the kid at Oklahoma State. Lamar Jackson himself can run. This is a team that, if they wanted to, could probably run for 350 yards a game, but they also have explosive wide receivers like Hollywood Brown. This is a this is a Ravens team that I'm starting to sort of regret that I had them missing the playoffs. Uh, for the first three weeks, I've I've looked pretty stupid for leaving them out of the AFC race. Oh, I'm right there with you. I I, I didn't trust. Lamar would make as big of an offseason jump I think that he has and, and credit to him for for that offseason that he put together to be able to make that jump I don't think a lot of us saw that coming uh, so definitely regretting definitely regretting that on my part as well stat out of this game Mahomes passed uh, Hall of Famer Kurt Warner for the most 300 plus passing yards games in a quarterback's first 20 games Mahomes has done it 13 times and you mentioned it it just kind of, oh, ho-hum, here's Patrick Mahomes. Well, Patrick Mahomes went 374, three touchdowns, now has 13 300-yard games in his first 20. It seems like even if this Chiefs offense is, is slow, it, it takes one or two plays, and you look up, and it's 21 nothing Kansas City. <laughs> Like we're just kind of we're just kind of numb to it. We're like, oh yeah, Mahomes threw for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, that's just a thing that he does. It's like, do you know how many quarterbacks would give everything to have that stat line? I mean, Joe Flacco would love to have that stat line right now. Like Patrick Mahomes could probably throw for 350 yards and two touchdowns. Like if you put him out there blindfolded for the entire second half. Like this guy is so good that he might be the first repeat MVP since Peyton Manning did it in like 2008, 2009. He is certainly, certainly the front runner to make that happen. Another young guy, Evan, as we switch gears to the Giants, they pulled Eli Manning, inserted Daniel Jones, and turned over the keys to the kingdom to the freshman, or excuse me, rookie quarterback from Duke. And he goes out, and orchestrates one of the largest comebacks in NFL history. The Giants beat the Bucks 32-31. to Jones was 23 for 36, 336 yards, a couple of touchdowns, throwing the ball. He had two rushing touchdowns as well on four carries. Boy, Evan, this looks like the Giants made the right move to pick him at number six. A little bit of, you know, just a small sample size here in one week. But he brought a nice dynamic piece to the offense that I don't think we saw from Eli Manning in his time with the Giants. Eli Manning probably would lose a 40-yard dash to a Roomba. Like, that guy <laughs> could not move. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers doomed themselves because their kicker missed a 30, it was a 32-yard field goal at the end of the game. He missed an extra point. Like... You know, uh, Tampa Bay and, and and the Chargers are just doomed forever to just have problems at kicker. But 
the most impre- the most important or impressive part of that comeback is they did all of it without Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley was out for that entire 18-point comeback, so it shows that the Giants are more than just a one-man offense because I think that going into the season they looked at, oh, it's uh, Saquon and a bunch of dudes, so Barkley's going to have to do everything. But this this one-game sample size showed that, no, he doesn't. Daniel Jones, he could... He can move, he can throw the ball, but Tampa Bay is just cursed at kicker. Oh, I, I I saw something. I think Connor Barth was the last Tampa Bay kicker to kick back-to-back seasons in Tampa, like 2011, 2012, something like that. They've had a different kicker each of the past six years. And Bruce Arians taking that that penalty to move him back what I mean, what is going on there? Why would you move a guy back? Do, I wonder if Tampa Bay still has PTSD from Roberto Aguayo, and that's why he uh, that that's why he did it. You know, whatever happened to that guy? I have no idea what happened to Aguayo, but how do you move a guy back? He just missed. I think it was a twenty-nine yard field goal originally. Arians took the penalty and moved it back five yards. This guy's already missed two extra points. Now he's made four consecutive field goals, including a 52-yarder, but he's missed two extra points, and you move the kick back to the distance of an extra point. What is going on? Matt Gay is the Tampa Bay kicker. He's a a rookie out of Utah. He looked good on the 52-yard field goal, but boy, when he missed that 26, uh, excuse me, that little chip shot, uh, I think it was a 34-yarder. Boy, the kicking woes continue in Tampa. But but kind of back to Daniel Jones here. Evan, he was really impressive. I don't know if you watched the game super closely or not, but New York was running some run pass options, uh, some different things with Daniel Jones using his legs when Saquon Barkley went down. You know, this is a different dimension for defenses that they never saw from Eli Manning. And we know that defenses will adjust, and this is just one game. But you're seeing Daniel Jones. Looks like he's going to be able to step in and be productive. When Saquon Barkley is healthy, this team has a few weapons. Evan Ingram, the tight end, is a great young player. Sterling Shepard on the outside is a very capable wide receiver. And you have Saquon Barkley. New York outscored Tampa, I think it was 22-3 to in the second half. Ingram and Shepard both had 100-yard days and a touchdown. This is a this is a Giants team that's not as barren as we thought, in my opinion. I think they just needed somebody a little bit more athletic at quarterback, and that's what Jones gives them. Uh, I did not get to see very much of that game because locally we got the Carolina-Arizona game instead of the Giants in Tampa, but I was able to catch bonus coverage of the last game. Uh, you know, those... uh. That, that cable TV, man, you, you, you just, you're just kind of stuck with the games you get. So I was able to catch like the last uh, 225 of that uh, Giants game because it got to the point where like Fox was like, yeah, we're going to show you something a little bit more competitive now. Like, you know how like when the game's a blowout and they're just kind of like, yeah, we're going to show you something that's a little more interesting. So I was able to catch the Daniel Jones touchdown run and the Tampa Bay drive down the field with the mix with the missed kick. And I was just sitting there thinking, wow, 
like Tampa Bay just they just can't have nice things. I feel so bad for them. Yeah, that was a uh, a tough game for the Bucks, especially because they got a nice afternoon out of Jameis Winston. 380, three touchdowns, one interception. Great chemistry with Mike Evans, who had uh, 190 yards and three touchdowns. This Giants defense is what they have to address. It's too bad Daniel Jones can't play corner or, or a, def- a different defensive position because they've struggled on that side of the ball. But it sure does look like they have found their quarterback. You mentioned the Carolina-Arizona game. Uh, this was another one with a couple of young quarterbacks. Kyler Murray was uh, blasted by Kyle Allen. And Evan, interesting storyline between these two guys. Kyle Allen, for those of you who have never heard of him, like, oh, I don't know, almost everyone who was furiously looking up Kyle Allen on Google when he was named the starter. Uh, He was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, uh, Desert Mountain High School in Scottsdale. He he started his career at Texas A&M. He was the backup in 2014. Then he was named the starter in 2015. He started the season 5-0. Then he got hurt, and the guy that came in was Kyler Murray. And so Kyle Allen transferred to Houston, uh, did not play well at Houston, had to sit out uh, for the transfer, then had a rocky season in uh, 2017 and declared for the draft. But, Evan, I think everyone was scrambling to figure out who exactly Kyle Allen was and going against Kyler Murray, a guy that he played with at Texas A&M, it was a pretty nice debut for Kyle Allen. Well, he started week 17 of last year, so this wasn't his first game. But if you didn't know that Kyle Allen and uh, Kyler Murray were te- were college teammates, you definitely knew at the end of that game because the broadcasters only mentioned it, I don't know, about 200 times. Like you could kind of turn it into a drinking game. I was like, yeah, take a shot every time they mention, oh, hey, did you guys know that he was the number one high school quarterback and these guys were college teammates at Texas A&M? It's like it was like the only thing they knew about Kyle Allen. And he he looked pretty good. He was 19 of 26, 261 yards, four touchdowns. But it's like, okay, guys, like we got it the first 11 times you told us that they were Texas A&M teammates. Can we just can we watch the game now? (laughs) Do you think there's a uh, do you think there's a controversy at quarterback in uh, Carolina? Do You think Um, this guy can push uh, Cam out of his job or no? Maybe not, uh, unless Kyle Allen is like the grown-up version of that kid in that Play 60 commercial. I'm just loosening my arm. Remember that? Yeah. Yep. I think uh, I think Kyle Allen might be the grown-up version of that kid. Kyle Allen, as you mentioned, at 261, four touchdowns. It helps when you have a guy named Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. He went for a buck 53 on 24 carries and one touchdown. He also caught three passes. Kyler Murray, 30 for 43. 173 yards, couple touchdowns, couple picks. He had 69 yards rushing. Evan, that that Arizona Cardinals offensive line is, I mean, Kyler's running for his life like every play. This is the exact opposite of what he had at Oklahoma. Oklahoma had what? Three of his, they, they had the majority, it was either three or four of their offensive linemen got drafted last year like at, at Oklahoma there were games where no one came close to Kyler Murray like this guy's this guy's not careful he's gonna get himself he's gonna get himself injured because he, he he can't protect himself no this is this is something that Arizona has to address and this was one of those things you know as as somebody who rooted 
roots for the Colts, when Andrew Luck came into the league, this was something that you were you were crying out from the rooftops for the Colts to do. You've made this investment, you've made this draft pick, and yet there wasn't an investment in the offensive line. I think the Cardinals are here in this position. You've got this guy, Kyler Murray. I mean, you don't have to have the best offensive line in the NFL. I mean, Kyler Murray can get outside the pocket. He can use his legs. He can do some different things. But you cannot let the guy get sacked eight times, which is what happened against Carolina. You cannot let those sack numbers deter him from making the plays that he can make. I mean, Kyler Murray, yes, he's a very diminutive guy, but he has a strong arm. He's an accurate quarterback. He just hasn't had any time to throw. And when he has, and when that offense has got rolling, Evan, we've seen him put together nice drives and nice games. He just can't do it all together at once because he's constantly running for his life. By the way, that is four offensive linemen were drafted from Oklahoma, and all four of them were within the first 125 picks. Yeah, Arizona's wishing so they, they had those four guys. Yep, they were Ben Powers, who went 123rd to the Baltimore Ravens, Drew Samea, who went 114th to the Minnesota Vikings, both in the fourth round. Then in the third round, the L.A. Rams took Bobby Evans, 97th, and then in the second round to Buffalo, the 38th pick, Cody Ford. So four of Kyler Murray's offensive linemen were taken within the first four rounds, and he has nowhere near that level of protection in Arizona. Like it, unless Arizona spends all of their draft capital and all of their free agency on offensive line, Kyler Murray's going to have a rough start to his career. Yeah, it's going to be a tough start. I think we all envisioned that, but you know, you just get reminded on a week weekly basis where Kyler's running for his life because his offensive line is struggling to protect him. He did have his best uh, completion percentage game, almost 70% of his passes at 30 for 43. I think it's 60, 68, 69% of his throws, but something that they've got to figure out how to protect him because he has a couple of weapons. He's got David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, although Fitzgerald on the back end of his career, still very productive, very nice start to the season for him, but they've got to protect him if they want any chance of winning some games this year. So Kyle Allen beats Kyler Murray. Carolina Panthers get the win in Cam Newton's absence. Looks like Allen will start another game. They are not exactly sure when Cam Newton will be back with that mid-foot sprain. Uh, he also had the shoulder problem in the offseason, so injuries piling up for Cam Newton. And Kyle Allen looks like he'll be a, a serviceable guy to, to get things done while Cam Newton is out. Evan, this is something we've talked about a couple of different times early in the season, before the season started, some of the storylines with the Dallas Cowboys and a 31-6 to win over the Miami Dolphins. Their young quarterback, Dak Prescott, boy, he is adding a zero to the paycheck, it seems like, every weekend, doesn't it? <laughs> it, 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 it certainly seems that way. The Dallas Cowboys became the first team in... I think they somewhere someone says somewhere like the mid '90s that were 20 plus point favorites and actually covered because the line made it all the way to 23 by kickoff. Dallas won by 25, which for Miami is ironically the closest game they've had all year. Was uh, losing by 25 to the Dallas Cowboys, but look for the purpose of this exercise. I am Jerry Jones. You are Dak Prescott and his agent. So I sit you down and I say, look, 
at this point, it is stupid to argue that you have well outperformed the current contract you have right now. You're only making $2 million. You're worth significantly more than that. However, given the salary cap situations going on right now with the team, I can't give you $30 million, but I can give you just under 30 So, Dak, here's my offer to you. Fully guaranteed, four years, $115 million. What do you say? Four years, $115. Uh, I probably turn that down. That's $28.75 million a year. I probably turn that down because I just saw the contract that Jared Goff got, which I need to look up what those figures are on that most recent Jared Goff contract. But Dak Prescott is a guy that he's got a couple of division titles, a, an extremely accurate passer. He has shown that with the current weapons that the, Dalboy, that the Dallas Cowboys have, which are all under contract, Dak Prescott is extremely extremely successful in that system and I think we've seen although the opponents haven't been that great here in the first three games of the season we've seen that Kellen Moore uh, the new offensive coordinator definitely has something that there's a little bit of magic there he seems to be able to get the absolute most out of Dak Prescott so you know I turn I turn that down if I'm Dak because I think you're you're talking more in the 30, the low 30s of what Dak would be looking for. And for his performance on the field in terms of what he's done with the Cowboys, yes, he doesn't blow you away, but he has proven more than capable of being a $30 million quarterback, in my opinion. So the numbers in the Jared Goff deal, uh, four years, 134 with 110 guaranteed. So if Dak got that deal, it's fully guaranteed. I'm giving you a Kirk Cousins deal. I'm paying you a hair under twenty nine million dollars a year. I mean, right, I but if s- you're but if you're Dak Prescott and his rep- representation, and you're looking at the contract that Goff just got and how Goff has performed, I don't think it's out of the question that they're sitting there going, "We're better than this guy." Would you, would you make the argument that Dak Prescott is better than Jared Goff if you could pick between the two? At this point in their careers, I would, for the purposes of, I mean, for them getting paid, I mean, Dallas, uh, Dak Prescott has been a more consistent winner, in my opinion, than Jared Goff. The Dallas Cowboys, since his rookie year, have had the have the best record in the NFC. Yeah, he's I mean, thirty. He's thirty five and sixteen as a starter. And if I'm if I'm him and his rep- representation, I'm sitting there going, "Look, these numbers speak for themselves." And I've shown that with the, all of the weapons that we have, we're firing on all cylinders on offense. I have the best record. I have a couple of division titles. I'm a thirty million dollar year quarterback. I don't think it's that far fetched. So what would so would you want four years, five years, a four plus one? What kind of deal are you looking for? I mean, if I'm Dak, I want I want the, I want five years. I want the the biggest contract I can get. Obviously, if I'm Dak Prescott, because you know in the NFL you just never know. Uh, and with the guaranteed contracts, that's something that you're searching for. So I would be thinking, you know, of course you want the longest contract that you can get. 
I think it'll end up being a, um, a low to mid-30s, like a 33 or a $34 million a year number. Now, people are going to shy away from that because, you know, Dak Prescott, a, a fourth-round pick and a guy that, you know, people say doesn't have the, the greatest arm strength and doesn't have all this and that. But Dak, Pres- Dak Prescott has proven successful in the Cowboys system. All of those weapons are under contract with which he has performed extremely well. He is a fantastic leader and spokesman for the team as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I think that definitely matters because unlike uh, an Ezekiel Elliott type of guy who we've seen have some troubles in the past, Jerry Jones and company don't have to go to bed at night going, I hope I don't wake up to an Ezekiel Elliott headline in the offseason. You know you have Dak Prescott and that stability at the quarterback position. I think that counts for quite a bit in terms of uh, the money that he's going to get. So I would be searching for the longest contract I can get, that five-year deal, um, if they would, if the Cowboys would go the five-year deal. And, I, you know, I think it's going to be a, a, a low to mid-30s type of deal, which then, Evan, begs the question, what in the world is Patrick Mahomes going to get when it's his time if Dak Prescott ends up signing a four- or five-year deal at, you know, 32 $33, 34000000 million a year? Um. Forty million, an ownership stake in the Chiefs, and a statue. Like, and like Patrick Mahomes can city. ask. Patrick Mahomes can ask for whatever he wants. Like, is there a is there a contract demand that Patrick Mahomes could make that people would think is unreasonable? I don't think so. Probably, especially because he, it looks like this year is set up for the Chiefs to really make a run in the AFC and potentially get to the Super Bowl. If that happens, he can ask for whatever he wants and he'll get it. He he is, you know how they when there was a big comment, there was a big commentary about how the NFL started to turn into the NBA, which I think is overblown and a bit absurd. But if they were going to the NBA, Patrick Mahomes is the closest thing to an NBA type player we have. Like this guy's, he is untradeable. What offer could you possibly make to Kansas City that they won't hang up on you in five seconds? Uh, it, it wouldn't even take five seconds. Like, if someone said, hey, we're going to give you first-round picks for the next 10 years for Patrick Mahomes. Okay, cool, thanks, click. Yeah, I don't think there is a offer in the world you could make Kansas City that isn't going to cause them to hang up on you in five seconds. No, not at all. I mean, it's. I think that number is, is scary what he's going to get. But if you're, if you're Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys, I'm surprised the deal hasn't gotten done yet because we've heard multiple comments on different occasions from Jerry Jones saying that the deal is imminent, but boy, Dak Prescott, a little bit of a regression this week, just in terms of the, 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 the crispness. He was 19 for 32, 246, couple touchdowns, one interception. He did have a rushing touchdown, but you mentioned the Cowboys covered. They are, have scored, uh, 30-plus points in each of the first three games. This year, Dak Prescott, 75% of his throws, 920 yards, nine touchdowns, two picks. He's over 330 yards a game. He is going to get paid. It's just a matter of how much. And it's looking more and more as the weeks go by like it's going to be a number in the uh, 30-plus million-dollar range. Evan, we have... Eight different teams in the NFL as we switch gears who are undefeated. 
and I thought we'd go through each of them and try and figure out who's real and who's fake. Uh, so we're gonna I'm gonna give you we're gonna list out the eight different teams. I think there's most of them, a handful of them are are, are pretty obvious that we probably think uh, is a real start versus this is just a facade here early in the season. But the New England Patriots out to a three and zero start. I think I know what you're going to say here, but is that real or fake? Oh no, it's totally fake. They're going to go three and thirteen. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, you you know, heard it even, here first, folks. Yeah, yeah. Even with all of the nonsense surrounding Antonio Brown this weekend, and Bill Belichick catching heat for like the death glare he gave uh, Dana Jacobson when she asked about it. The New England Patriots are this might be the most dominant team that they've had. No, like they still have yet to allow an offensive touchdown this season. The jets did score two touchdowns on a fumble return in the, uh, a fumble in the end zone and a pick six. So for three weeks, they have yet to allow an offensive touchdown and next week they get the Buffalo Bills, So that streak might end next Sunday, but they are about as real as a real three and O team gets. Yeah, no, like, I, it's, I totally, it's almost impossible that. to disagree with that. Totally agree with that. Their defense is, is fantastic this year. They've got some things to figure out at wide receiver because, you know, you thought that room was really solidified and then Edelman got a little dinged up. They cut Antonio Brown. So they still have weapons and they still have a trio of running backs that they can use. Uh, basically as Swiss Army knives in the rush game or the pass game. But I totally agree. This is a very real New England Patriots team with Tom Brady at the helm. They're out to a 3-0 and start, and they are a real contender this year. You mentioned the matchup with the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are out to a 3-0 and start. I'm curious to what you think here. Is this a real start, or is this uh, the Buffalo Bills not going to be able to keep this up? If I were to rate these in percentage, I'd say it's probably 51, 52% real. But I also need to take into consideration that the three teams that they beat, the they beat the Giants, they beat the Giants, Jets, and Bengals. And those three teams combined have one win. So take take their uh, take their record for what you will kind of in the same way with the Dallas Cowboys where between the Bills and Cowboys the combined records of teams that they've played is 1 and 17 like only the only team that's won a game of those 3 is the New York Giants and they did it in thrilling come from behind fashion against Tampa Bay I want to believe that this Buffalo team is real. I really do, because I don't want to have people wearing, like, AFC East champs for the Patriots before by, like, early October. Like, I want this to be a real thing so badly, but in my heart I just feel like I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I'm buying into this Buffalo Bills start, and I'll tell you the reason why, is the defensive side of the football. Look, this is one of the best defenses in the NFL, and – they just don't get talked about enough. I, I've got a, a few stats for you. don't want to bog down with a ton of that stuff, but the Buffalo Bills defense is first in three and out percentage, 36% of drives. They are third in scoring uh, percentage. 
They are first in yards per drive. The Bills' defense is giving up 24 yards per drive. Uh, They're third in touchdown percentage, only allowing a touchdown 17% of the time. Uh, They are forcing a turnover 16% of the time. So almost as many times as they're allowing a touchdown, they're forcing a turnover. They're only giving up 1.5, one and a half points per drive, which is third in the NFL. This Buffalo Bills defense is for real. Uh, Tredavious White in the secondary. Uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey gets a ton of press. Stephon Gilmore uh, gets a ton of press for the Patriots. Ramsey for the Jaguars. But Tredavious White is a fantastic football player. And, you know, he only, I was looking it up the other day, he only gets targeted 14% of the time since last year. There's only three other guys that have a number similar to that or less than that, Richard Sherman, Casey Hayward, and William Jackson. Teams just aren't throwing at Tredavious White and the receiver that he's covering, and so you don't hear about him as much, but he is a heck of a player on the outside for the Buffalo Bills, and I am buying in 100% to this defense. Now, as you mentioned, obviously – you know, we're going to have to wait and see. This matchup against the Patriots is going to be a big one. It's going to tell us a lot. They've got to stop turning the ball over with Josh Allen. But if they can clean up some of those turnovers, they've added some offensive weapons. Allen is a threat with his arm and his legs. This could be a very interesting team. You talked about it. We've got to temper those expectations a little bit until we see what happens with New England because they haven't played anybody. But I'm 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 buying into this Buffalo Bills start. I think this is much more of what you're gonna get, especially on a consistent defensive basis, uh, than what you're not gonna get from the Buffalo Bills. But a big matchup coming up against the Patriots. Uh, the winner will take the lead in the division. So a big game coming up there here early in the season. Evan, a couple more here that I think I th- we obviously think are real: Kansas City, the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think there's any question on those two. No, no, there's not. Moving on. Green Bay Packers, 3-0. and Their defense has been fantastic. And this is something that I don't think we've talked enough about from just an overarching NFL perspective. The offense is sputtering a bit, which is a little bit of a concern under Matt LaFleur, uh, supposed to be the guy coming in to, you know, kind of reinvigorate that. But, boy, the defense has been fantastic. And... Evan, we saw the last time Green Bay had a top 10 defense, uh, Aaron Rodgers was hoisting a Super Bowl trophy. It looks like they've got a similar unit on the defensive side of the football this year. It looks like they do because Green Bay went out and did something that Green Bay never does, and that's spend money in free agency. Green Bay was notorious for spending virtually no money, if no money at all, in free agency. They went out and got Zadarius Smith. Preston Smith, they drafted Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. Like that defense was really hamstrung by just a lack of depth where they would trust their mid-round guys and undrafted free agents to make it work on defense instead of going out and spending money. Like the last time Green Bay went outside of their philosophy and brought in a free agent was Charles Woodson, and that was a big success. So I think uh, their new GM, uh, Brian uh, Gutenkust, and I really hope I pronounced that right. I'm pretty sure I butchered it. But going out and getting mid-level free agents, getting a pass rush, and not just relying on, oh, this 
fourth round linebacker we took is going to take over for Clay Matthews. This looks like a legitimate defense, but the three quarterbacks that they've played are Kirk Cousins, Mitch Trubisky, and whatever's left of Joe Flacco. Yeah, not exactly uh, Patrick Mahomes. Thursday night, they get Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. That should be a, a bigger barometer for this defense, even though that the Philadelphia receiving core is a bit depleted right now. But I want to see what this defense can do against someone like a Carson Wentz. And later on this year, we get the Aaron Rodgers-Patrick Mahomes duel, and I'm so excited about that. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. You talk about the defense, yeah, signing Preston Smith, uh, Zadarius Smith, excuse me, Darnell Savage, who they drafted, looks like a rookie of the year candidate on defense through the first few for, through the first few weeks. Uh, Adrian Amos on the backside of the defense. He's a fantastic player coming over from Chicago. Uh, boy, they looks like they found a, a gem in Jair Alexander. So that defense for Green Bay, you talked about it. They haven't exactly faced Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. But if they can keep this up, we know what happens when Aaron Rodgers has a defense like this. We've seen it before. And so I think Green Bay fans are wanting the offense to come around but are excited about what this uh, defense has done. Evan, the Detroit Lions are 2-0-1. Is this the Detroit Lions or no? Uh, can they keep this up? I don't think so. Recent history is definitely not on their side. Uh, they are 2-0-1. Uh, they did everything they could to to give Arizona that game, including what should have been an interception on the last play of overtime that should have led up to a field goal. And they beat the uh, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles, but part of that was a 100-yard kickoff return. And the Eagles would have won that game if they didn't drop seven passes. So out of the currently undefeated teams, it's probably them and San Francisco who I'm like the least sold on. Okay, Between... that, that's fair. The The Rams are 3-0. and We think they're real, of course. We need a better Jared Goff, Todd Gurley's health, but you know I think the Rams are real. So that leaves uh, San Francisco, as you mentioned, 3-0 and to start the year. So they're in your – of this group, they are in your – most likely to come back to earth team. Am I hearing that right? They had three turnovers in the red zone on Sunday, five turnovers overall. They were begging Pittsburgh to win that game, but Mason Rudolph just couldn't do it. Like if you looked at the highlights and looked at that box score, of that game was like, how the hell did San Francisco win this game? Like this was a case of somebody had to win and it just happened to be San Francisco. But on a more important point, uh, we just got done wondering. We just had speculation of was did they just get sold a lemon in in uh, Jimmy G? Did uh, Belichick use his Jedi mind trick magic to uh, get the 49ers to take a backup? But this is this is year was is this year three or year four of the Shanahan Lynch regime? Uh. Thought it was year four. Because Shanahan was the coordinator for Atlanta in the Super Bowl, and then took the so this would be 2017-2018. This is year three. Okay, so year three. They're halfway through a six-year deal. This is this is kind of like a 
you know, crap or get off the pot year for for the 49ers, uh, especially when you've you signed Jimmy G to that huge contract. You spent a lot of money and draft capital in the skill position. You haven't really given a lot of attention to that defense. This is this is sort of a make or break year for the Shanahan Lynch regime because if they have another five and 11, six and 10 year, they might not be long for the Bay area. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree. This is, this is a very young team and this is, you know, I don't think they're going to able to be able to come, you know, keep up this undefeated start, but this is a team that I think can push for a playoff spot because I think they're going to be better on defense. You know, one of the, one of the interesting uh, statistical anomalies from last year was the fact that this 49ers team only had two interceptions in the entirety of last season. So they are second in the league this year. That's going to be something that turns around because that's just something that doesn't happen if you, you know only picking off two passes in a season. So they're going to be able to create some turnovers on defense. It's a running back by committee for the 49ers, but it's kind of working out. They've got some different guys in Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida. So they've got kind of this interesting backfield going. They're going to be improved on defense. Jimmy G, I think, you know, not not going to be a guy that lights it up, but a guy that can uh, make plays, a guy that is accurate, a guy that is able to uh, get outside the pocket and make some plays and just do enough, I think, that this 49ers team won't be an undefeated team. But definitely this start, I think, is indicative of them challenging and pushing for a playoff spot. They may ultimately miss out, but I think they are mostly for real in terms of they are going to be okay in the NFC race. A couple of nice games coming up, Evan. Thursday night, as you mentioned, Philadelphia, Green Bay. We've got Sunday night, Dallas and New Orleans. Um Looking, trying to look across the slate and see if we have anything else. I think New England Buffalo uh, is another big one there. Both of those teams three and zero. Which is the game that you are pinpointing? If you've got to pick one to plop down and watch, and you can only have one, which one are you looking at this weekend? If I can only have one, hmm. Let's see. There's there's a few that I would choose from, and a few that. If this was the only game on, I'll, I'd watch YouTube videos instead. <laughs> um, but if I had the opportunity to pick just one, uh, give me give me Buffalo and New England. Uh, I want to see what this Buffalo defense can do against someone like a Tom Brady. And who would have thought that on September 29th, Buffalo and New England were going to meet in Buffalo for sole possession of first place in the AFC East. Yeah, people would have said you're nuts. People, nobody would have thought that. Uh, the Monday night game is the one that I'm staying away from, is the uh, Steelers and Bengals, because the last time these guys were on Monday night was the Ryan Shazier game. Oh, yeah. And that was the game where, like, they were talking about that game and the, the brutality of it. They were talking about that game like, they brought knives on the field and were trying to stab each other. Like, do, do you remember, like, the rhetoric, the way they talked about that Ryan Shazier game after it happened? Yeah, I do. Like, it got to the point where the announcers were, like, visibly upset of having to call that game, and it just felt weird. 
Yeah, so a reminder for you of that on Monday night. You're staying away from that. You're taking New England and Buffalo. I think I'd take the Thursday night game, Philadelphia and Green Bay. I hope that Philadelphia is a little bit healthier. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, both banged up. Uh, That hurt them last week and will continue to linger moving forward. But I think Philly's a contender in the NFC Obviously, Green Bay out to a good start, particularly defensively. So I'll take the Thursday night game if I had to pick one. But that New England-Buffalo matchup definitely is one that I am very interested uh, in watching here. And Evan, before we before we kind of wrap up things here this week, I wanted to touch on a few things in college football as we shift gears. The biggest game, I think, from the weekend in terms of implications for the college football playoff was a 23-17 Georgia win over Notre Dame. That was a game that was played uh, defensively, was played very well uh, from both teams. And I thought, you know, for me coming in, I thought that was a a game that Notre Dame had to win to be able to stay in the conversation. I thought if Georgia came in and lost in a close game, their strength of schedule is something, and them being in the SEC is something that they could probably overcome. But Notre Dame losing this game is something they would not be able to overcome. Uh, Jake Fromm comes out and leads the Bulldogs to a 23-17 win. So a big win for Georgia. And I remember we were talking about last week, you know, this was this Georgia team was one that I just hadn't watched enough. And having watched that game, boy, Georgia's offensive line, one of the best in the country. They're one of the biggest in the country. DeAndre Swift, the running back, a heck of an athlete. Uh, Jake Fromm, I think, is uh, is an NFL quarterback. He's extremely accurate, can make all of the throws, able to um, lead his team, manage the game, but is able to make plays. You know, I I think I undersold Georgia. I just didn't pay enough attention to them. I still like LSU and Alabama a little bit more, but this Georgia Bulldogs team is for real, for sure. They are for real, but I was honestly more impressed with Notre Dame being able to hold their own and keep it relatively close against Georgia. I I don't know exactly what I was expecting. It's not like I, I wasn't expecting Georgia to win this game, like, 38 to 10 but I was expecting a little bit more of a back and forth than than we got but it was it was a good it was a good performance from Notre Dame but how about the 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 respect that they had for the Georgia defense where they had multiple drives in that first half where they would have first and goal at the three yard line. They would just throw the ball every play like no we're not going to try and run against Georgia because we know we're not going to get it. Yeah I didn't even make an attempt. Uh, how about uh, Central Florida losing on a trick play to Pittsburgh uh, last week? 27-game win streak over for the UCF Knights. And UCF Knights fans had to hear quite a bit about uh, UCF on social media. People were lighting up uh, UCF and the fan base there because they lost a game with uh, Pittsburgh. Did you see the T-shirts that Pittsburgh made with, like, the – the pit special play. Yeah, I did. I did. I, I also appreciate Pittsburgh going back to like the to going back to the Dan Marino color scheme. 
I, I really appreciate like the bright pastel-y colors that they went with. But speaking of getting ripped on social media, how about like the refs at the end of that Cal Ole Miss game? Oh, that was a disaster. So well, if you didn't, that should have been. Okay, go ahead. No, yeah, I was just gonna say if you didn't watch the game, Ole uh, Mississippi is down near the goal line at the end of the game. There's a pass play where the receiver catches the ball. If you freeze frame it, it does appear that he's in the end zone, but it is close, you know, just from a couple of different angles. So it looks like he might be in to score a touchdown, but he gets he, he gets tackled. He comes up short. The referee marks him at, like, the half-yard line. And this is a play that does not get reviewed. And so there's no stoppages. There's no review coming. Ole Miss is scrambling. They, they get up to the line. I believe then it was fourth and goal, so they just tried to, like, quarterback sneak up the middle and didn't get it, and that was the end of the game. But how in the world did that play not get reviewed? The biggest play of the game does not get buzzed down for a review. I don't know how that happens. And Ole Miss was acting like it was going to get reviewed because they didn't have a lot of urgency at first. They were just standing around like, okay, the clock's going to stop. They're going to take a look at it, and then we can regroup. And it took a few seconds for them to be like, oh, no, yeah, then they're, they're like, not reviewing it. Yeah, they're like, they're oh, not wait. looking at it. We got to go. Yeah, they're like, oh, wait, that's not something that's happening. It's not going to get reviewed. Um, that was a disaster for the referees because that is a play you have got to review that play. You have to. That's the biggest play of the game. Especially in college football where they review pretty much everything. Like, how, how could you, how could they not? Take a look at that. Uh, they wound up. They wound up not doing it. Ole Miss has a pretty bitter, pretty bitter loss to Cal. Uh, speaking of uh, bitter losses, in a battle of SEC ranked teams, Auburn did just enough to get past uh, Texas A&M. Uh, so, Cody, uh, the struggles of Bo Nix have been documented. Uh, see his completion percentage, but I think it's kind of hard to remember. It's easy to forget that. This guy is like 18, 19 years old. Like he, there's, there's going to be some growing pains. But are you a, are you a Bo Lever in Bo Nix? Uh, I am because I trust in that Auburn defense uh, quite a bit, and I think that is going to be able to really help propel them. But Bo Nix is a really good athlete. Uh, he's a good playmaker. Uh, you know, if you saw, there were. Uh, Joe Moorhead made a, a bunch of comments, uh, the Mississippi State coach, about being very impressed with uh, Bo Nix. Yeah, this is this is a kid who's got a ton of uh, a ton of talent. Yes, the completion percentage is not there right now for him uh, in terms of struggling. Fifty-four percent completion percentage, uh, but he has six hundred and fifty yards, five touchdowns. Uh, this is a guy who is athletic. This is a guy who can lead that offense. Uh, you know, this Auburn offense is not blowing anybody out. You know, they're not going to run it up on you by any means, but they're a team that can keep you in check defensively. So I am a believer. I do like Auburn. I, I don't think they have enough for the Bamas, the LSUs, the Georgias of the world, but I do like Auburn a lot, and Bo Nix is very fun to watch. Uh, the, the nation got introduced to him in week one uh, when he was able to take Auburn and get past Justin Herbert and the Oregon Ducks. 
but I, I am a I am a Bo Lever, I guess, uh, in what he can do and what this Auburn team can do. They are going to be right in the uh, right in the hunt at the end of the year, I think. And I have to I have to sort of admit my shame uh, public publicly on air. Uh, I was watching that UCLA Washington State game, and I, I shut it off. I thought the game was over. You're not the only Washington, one. Washington State's up by 30. Their quarterback just threw his fifth or sixth touchdown. Yeah, this thing's over. I shut it off. And when I shut it off and went to go do something else. And when I and when I woke up the next day, I and then when I woke up the next day, I checked the box score and it's like, wait, UCLA won? All you did was <laughs> miss one of the most unbelievable games that I've ever seen. I I will admit it. I shut the game off. I thought it was over. I was like, okay, he's throwing six touchdowns in the third quarter. Shut it down. UCLA can't come back, and they did. So I am publicly admitting that I I shut the game off, and I'm and I'm sort of embarrassed that I did. This is a this is a game that I did not watch live, but I went back and watched. If you didn't catch it, Washington State jumps out to a 35-17 lead uh, at the half. Washington State. Washington State, excuse me, scores 28 points in the second quarter. So it is 35 to 17 at the break. Washington State comes out and scores uh, a couple more times. But the UCLA takes the third quarter 21 to 14. And then all of a sudden, UCLA are world beaters in the fourth. They put up 29 in the fourth. Thompson goes 507 yards, five touchdowns. Washington State and Anthony Gordon, not to be outdone, he goes for 570 and nine touchdowns. So Dorian Thompson-Robinson with five. Gordon almost doubles him up with nine, with nine touchdowns. UCLA wins 67-63. to You've got to go check out the highlights to this game. It was absolutely wild. Uh, if you missed it, you've got to go find it because there were just some unbelievable plays in that game. One of the most exciting college football games I can remember in recent memory. Evan, you are not alone. There were a lot of people that turned that game off. Um, going back and watching it, what a what a fantastic performance for UCLA. That was a game that they had to have. Especially after scoring just 14 points in the first three games. And there was a lot of talk about Chip Kelly, how much of it is living off reputation. Can can this guy still do it? It's like Chip Kelly, once upon a time, was the smartest guy in the room. And now everybody's doing what he's doing. So I think that they're just waiting to see what his, what his second act is going to be. But if your second act is going to have like a huge comeback against Washington State, I think that's a good start. Yeah, that's that a good start. Is, that's definitely a good start. That's something that they will take for sure. Evan, to close it out, we'll kind of come full full circle here. We started with talking with the Georgia Bulldogs here in college football. The Georgia quarterback tree, the Bulldogs quarterback tree, is absolutely thriving this year. And what I mean by that is Jake Fromm is the current Georgia quarterback. Jacob Eason played quarterback at Georgia. He transferred to Washington. Justin Fields was a quarterback at Georgia. He transferred to Ohio State. And all three of those guys are killing it. Jake Fromm at Georgia. Um, uh, almost 800 yards, six touchdowns. He's going to generate some NFL buzz. He's extremely accurate. 
He replaced Jacob Eason in 2017 as a true freshman. He won the 2018 Rose Bowl. Uh, and then Jake Fromm, the quarterback of Georgia, when they fell to Alabama uh, in the title game there in, in 2017. Jacob Eason lost the job to Jake Fromm when he got hurt in the 2017 opener. He transfers to Washington. All he does this year, he started out a 72% passer, 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns for Jacob Eason. And then Justin Fields, who was at Georgia as well, he was Jake Fromm's backup in 2018, and then he transferred to Ohio State. Justin Fields is the least accurate of the three, but probably the most athletic. He has 880 yards and 13 touchdowns. Evan, quarterbacks with ties to the Georgia Bulldogs are really killing it this year in college football. Who would have thought that the transfer portal would have uh, greatly benefited multiple teams for, you know, for quarterbacks that were originally at Georgia? Like, that would have been a really awkward situation having to explain to one of those guys that you're going to have to be the third-string quarterback. Yeah, no I, kidding. I, for as much crap as the transfer portal gets i think it's a good thing for college football that these guys can go somewhere else and get a chance to play uh i know that sentiment on the transfer portal is pretty negative about like well you know what about staying to a school and committing and it's like okay well coaches bounce and leave all the time oh and you and conceivably you can coach for significantly longer than I can play. Like oh, I only 100%. get I only get four I only get four years and then five and six in like extreme circumstances. So I have a very narrow amount of time to play. And if I have to choose between going to like going to Alabama and oh you might get to play when you're a junior versus going somewhere else and playing right away. I think kids should have the ability to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen guys be able to take advantage of that, especially, you know, these three these three Georgia quarterbacks, Eason and Fields, uh, transferring from Georgia. Uh, Jake Fromm, the current Georgia quarterback, uh, I think going to generate some NFL buzz there. And so Justin Fields, when he's Fromm's backup last year, he's like, look, I'm, I can't unseat this guy. I'd, I'd like to play, so he transfers to Ohio State. Justin Fields was one of those guys that got the immediate eligibility. Uh, the Thomas Mars, the attorney, the, the guy that got Shea Patterson uh, to be able to play immediately because if you transfer in the NCAA, you've got to sit out a year uh, at this level. If you're transferring like you know Eason going to Washington, he sat out. Uh, the 2018 season, Fields would have had to sit out this year, but there were mitigating circumstances there with, you know, a, a Georgia baseball player using a racial slur to Fields and that being part of him, you know, wanting to leave that program. So some different mitigating circumstances for Fields to be able to get immediate eligibility at Ohio State. But boy, these three guys can really play uh, and this is something that is going to be fun to watch because Washington, 17th-ranked team in the country, Ohio State, 5th-ranked team in the country, Georgia and Jake Fromm, 3rd-ranked team in the country. So these three teams are going to be playing uh, 
well into the college football season. We're going to see them in the bowl season, and it's going to be very fun to watch these three kind of Georgia quarterbacks, uh, quarterback three top 15, top 20 programs in college football. Some of the action here, not a ton on the weekend slate for college football. I think Clemson, North Carolina is interesting. Virginia at Notre Dame is a battle of ranked teams. USC at Washington is a battle of ranked teams. All three of those games are in the 330 slot. You have Ohio State, Nebraska, Utah, Washington State. So nothing real crazy this weekend in terms of uh, college football matchups, Evan, but there are a few in that 330 slot that I'm interested in watching. Uh, Do you have any matchups that you're kind of keeping an eye on here as we head into the college football weekend? Uh, Ole Miss and Alabama. Like Ole Miss and Alabama, even when like Ole Miss is down, is still a tough game for Alabama. These two teams always play each other tough. And if there is a chance for for Alabama to get upset, I'm not saying it could happen. I'm saying that there is a there is a percentage chance that it could happen. There you go. 3:30, Ole Miss at Alabama. Uh, that is Bryant Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. So a matchup to watch before uh, before the night action in college football, the late game or the 7:30 game on ABC is Ohio State at Nebraska. That should be an interesting one as well at Nebraska. Ohio State going in there. Uh, that will be an environment that Ohio State has not seen so far this year. And then the Washington State team that just lost to UCLA goes on the road to take on Utah, who just got upset by USC so some interesting matchups to watch here in college football as well but that's going to do it for us here on the from the booth podcast Evan I appreciate it once again my friend enjoying doing this quite a bit any uh, parting shots parting thoughts from you Uh, no that about wraps it up but we are getting uncomfortably close to the NBA season so we're gonna have to make some uh, NBA uh, preview uh, picks here in the next few weeks. Oh, don't don't worry. That that's uh, that's coming. I'm a uh, huge uh, huge NBA fan, so don't worry. We are going to work that in here in the next few weeks. But uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the From the Booth podcast. We appreciate it. As always, give us a follow on Twitter at From the Booth Pod. Uh, you can listen to the show. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Podbean. Pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us. So go ahead and check us out from the booth podcast on Twitter at from the booth pod. You want to send in topics for the show. You want to weigh in on the discussion, uh, tweet us and we will get you in on that. Also do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating on Apple podcast. Drop us a comment about how you enjoy the show. That really helps us out, you know, in the rankings and the different things that uh, Apple podcasts and iTunes does. So go ahead and give us a rating there. Subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you get your podcast to make sure that you get episodes on a weekly basis. Uh, Special thanks to my man, Evan Eichen, as usual. Uh, Shout out to our guy, Tony Huynh, for the awesome podcast artwork. We're going to keep plugging him every week because we appreciate his uh, help getting us a logo and artwork and getting us off the ground with those two things. So thanks to Evan, as usual. And as always, thank you guys for listening. Right back here next week on the From the Booth podcast.